Hi, my name is Jim Palmer, and I finished writing Decide, the ultimate success trigger. Welcome to Please Finish Your Book, the show where busy people became published authors. Listen as they share their story, along with practical tips that you can use to get your book finished. Now, here's your host and father to an amazing son, John P. Thank you, Erica. Jim Palmer is a marketing and business building expert and in-demand coach. He is the founder of Dream Business Academy and Dream Business Coaching and Mastermind Program. Jim is also the host of Dream Biz TV. He's here to share his book, his story, and some tips on how to finish a book. Welcome to the show, Jim. It's such a pleasure to talk to you It's today. a pleasure to be with you, John. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Thank you. So do me a favor. Before we unpack the book a little bit more and get more into who you are and, and your mindset behind this book, Share with us what this book is about. You know, John, I've written uh, six books in six years now. And about three years ago, I started doing a, uh, a three-day event called Dream Business Academy. And at the end of that, I teach something uh, about mindset because it doesn't matter to me who you are. You could be a doctor, lawyer. You could be a grass cutter. It doesn't matter. You could be the absolute best at what you do. But if your mind is not telling you that you're you're growing, you're going to move forward, go do this, do it now, your mind controls how much success you're going to have, not your ability. And so people were urging me to share some of this stuff to a larger audience other than the people that come to my event. And so that's when I wrote Decide, the ultimate success trigger. So when you were working on this book, who did you have in mind? Before I started my business 15 years ago, I was in somewhat of the corporate world. So I'm pretty familiar with a, you know, a lot. I mean, today I interact mostly with entrepreneurs and small business owners. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you're starting out or it doesn't matter if you're a C-level executive, uh, there is something, first of all, called head trash. Everybody has some negative chatter going on in their head, and that's preventing them from moving forward. And I, I actually describe a lot of the head trash that I had. There's also some things, and I kind of break it down. One of them I call the imposter syndrome, and that holds people back. Well, what if people really find out I'm just, right, or I'm just this? And when I started my business 15 years ago, I had a used computer at my dining room table, and I'm going out there presenting myself as a successful businessman with my glossy business cards. And well, what if they find out I've just got an old computer at my dining room table? So the imposter syndrome is pretty big. So this book, has the ability to, to help anybody that's in business or really anybody that wants to succeed to higher levels. And, uh-huh. you know, I love, I love the title of your show. I mean, if this is really all about finishing the book. You know, so yes. many people, John, I've met a lot of people who say, oh, I've got a book in me. Somebody else will say, well, I've got a book in me. I've written the table of contents. Or I've written three chapters. It's like, okay, you're, you're either an author or you're a wannabe author, and it's okay, but you need to get over the finish line. I'll share this with you. My first book took me 18 months. My last uh, three books were done in 60 days. Wow, what's the difference? What happened? <laughs> well, it has a lot to do with mindset, actually. When I wrote my first book, I, I never went to college for journalism or writing or anything. I, sometimes my wife says I can't string two sentences together. But, you know, I knew something about business, and that's why I wanted to write the book outside of the, the benefits that we all know about. It's a great positioning tool and things like that. So I wrote my book. I actually wrote it in less than a year. 
But the extra six to seven months were me being afraid to pull the trigger because here's a book. It's going to be like forever in print. Now, today we have create space and you're printing on demand, but then you had to order a thousand, two thousand books, you know. And so here's it's going to be push the button. They get printed. It's got my name all over it. And what if there's a mistake in there? That held me back. And I I hired at least three proofreaders to go through it. And even when I thought it was done, I kept, well, I'm going to read it one more time. And then I, I, I just feel really blessed to hear a speaker. He was actually talking about mindset and this thing called uh, perfection. You know, and so one of the chapters in my book is decide not to be perfect. Well, if you are, if you're somebody who seeks perfection, you, I, I guarantee, you are slowing the growth of your of your business and or your career. But he said, if that book is still sitting in your word processor because you're waiting to find every last place where you spelled son s-o-n instead of s-u-n right or you're missing a comma he says you're not you're not helping them and you're certainly not helping you and um so you know what it was after i went to that conference that uh, i released the book somewhere around 30 days later uh somebody sent me a friendly email it was friendly but i was like I was so new. He goes, hey, Jim, uh, I like the book. I just thought you'd want to know on page 79 there's a dangling participle. (laughs) John, I'm telling you the truth. To this day, I have no idea what a dangling participle is. But I said, hey, did you get some good information? He says, yeah, I'm loving the book. So – so the the tip, and, or maybe it's a mindset strategy I want to give your listeners is this. You have to make a decision, and you need to choose that you're going to be judged on the value of the content and the quality of the information that you're sharing and not the imperfect way in which you share it. So that strategy can work as an for an author. It can work if you're doing videos or if you host a podcast. It can if you're article marketing. Whatever you're doing, you choose to be judged on the quality of the content and the value you're sharing, and not the imperfect way in which you're sharing it. And that should give you some relief that you don't have to be perfect. You just have to provide some good value. Wow, you know, John. Here's the thing: there are people who do, and there's people who think about doing. Now, I'm sure, I, you know, you and I haven't met, but I'm sure you sound like a quality guy. You're probably, you're, I bet your book would be amazing. If your book, this is another thing, if your book helps one person, 10 people, or 1,000 people, it's going to do its job. Now, it would be nice if you help 10,000 or more, but, you know, mm-hmm. whatever you do, whatever, however your information is going to connect with the right people, it's not doing it now if it's not done. And so, you know, here's the thing, and, you know, I, I did face uh, – a life-threatening uh, cancer about in 2001. So that that helped shape a little bit of my perspective about what's truly important. What's not mm-hmm. important is how many people think I'm a great writer. What I really relish is the is the people that say, "Man, that was a great tip. Oh, I love that, Jim. I implemented that in my business. That really helped." I, I know full well when I wrote this last book, Decide, in 60 days from the time I started to the time it was published, I knew as soon as I hit the button, even though I had four proofreaders, I know there's mistakes in there, but it's okay. Everybody mm-hmm. makes mistakes. Not everybody finishes their book and, and serves the community by doing so. With this particular book, do you have a favorite section or chapter of this book? And if so, why? Um. I think the um, – you know, I, I talk about the need not to be perfect, but um, the other thing which I think is, is important is how to be immune to criticism because criticism is really a daily part of life. 
And the only people who are being criticized are those people who are, are either in the public eye or are doing something. And, and, and I don't mean a public eye like you're a celebrity. You could be in the public eye in, in the world of podcasting or you know, whatever else you do. Um, we all have a small community in which we kind of function in, right? And so mm-hmm. um, it, it, you just have to realize, and it is hard to do, and I'll tell you this. When I started writing books and started doing videos and things like that, there was a time when I would be getting some uh, – uh, criticism and it really kind of rocked me. I, I somebody might write something specifically nasty or particularly nasty. See, there's a there's my imperfect language. Mm-hmm, <laughs> something mm-hmm. particularly nasty and it would I'd think about it like should I respond to this person? Who the heck do they think they are? You know. And then you know after time you get to realize that y- you can only your mind can only hold a positive thought or a negative thought at one time. It can't hold both. So if you're functioning literally wasting the minutes in your day thinking about negative negative people and negative thoughts, that's a very bad thing. So it's, you know, there's an expression, you're letting somebody live in your head rent free. So you don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So this whole thing about, um, you know, being immune to criticism, there's a couple things you can do. Number one is the person criticizing you a recognized expert in their field or in the field that you're in. Do you even know them? Do they pull any weight whatsoever? And even if all those three are correct, it's still not going to slow your train down, John, because I really believe you're going to connect with the right people you're meant to connect with. And, and there's people who won't connect with you. And, and the last thing I'll say on this on this subject is the people who will take the time to write you, to email you or whatever. Whatever, uh, those people don't have a lot going on in their life, and when you make that connection, you can. It's a little easier to dismiss the negativity. Love it. Oh, can I get yes, one I'm, more, John? Yeah, go for it. I'm really lit up today. <laughs> yeah, there's an expression that uh, the higher up the flagpole you go, the more your butt's going to hang out. Okay, so. <laughs> but it's okay because the view is so much better up there. So if you're going to be a successful person, you're going to be in. A, you're going to probably have a much higher profile than somebody not doing anything. So by your very nature, people are going to be looking at you, possibly saying things, and you just have to get over it because you're going to enjoy life much better a couple rungs up the ladder. And now a word from our sponsor, which is me, John P., the host of the show. Thank you for listening to Please Finish Your Book. I hope you're enjoying the show. If this is the first episode you're listening to, please go back to listen to episode 000, part one, and then part two. That's where you'll hear a little bit about my background, why I'm doing this show, and then what you and I can both do to keep this show going. Also, if you haven't subscribed, rated, or reviewed the show on iTunes yet, please do so. And I thank you in advance. Now, back to the show. All right. I want to learn a little bit more about you now. Okay. So let's jump. We're going we're gonna to move on to now find out about where you grew up and what stands out about your childhood. My childhood. Well, I, moved, I uh, grew up in a very tiny town in uh, western uh, New England. But when, and when I was 13 years old, there was like 10,000 people in the whole town, so very small school mm-hmm. and everything. And then mm-hmm. when, when I was 13, my dad, uh, he moved us down to Louisville, Kentucky. And it was uh, during the early 70s when they were desegregating the schools and there was busing going on. And I went from a, a school that literally had about 200 kids to a school that had 5,000 kids from. Whoa. Yeah. And it was quite, a, <laughs> quite an eye-opening experience. And Moved around some more after that, but uh, I, I, I hated it all, but I think it made me a little bit more of an outgoing person today. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm married, been married uh, 36 years, have four grown kids. Congratulations. Thank you. Okay. Two, two grandkids, another one on the way, so nice. life is good. 
Nice, nice. What did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, well, I don't know what age. I mean, the earliest recollection I have when I was 12 or 13 is I wanted to be a rock star. <laughs> hey, all right. That, that was the time with the monkeys, the monkeys team. Oh, yeah. And I wanted hey, to play hey, the drums. The monkeys. I had, uh, I had $80 in the bank from cutting lawns and stuff, and I said, I want to be a drummer. And I found a used drum set that I could buy for, for the $80, and my, my parents said no. I, I went behind their back and bought it anyway. They were oh. so ticked off, and they said, that's going to be just, you know, it's going to be like, um, well, I, I, back then, I don't think this phrase was out yet, but you'll, it's like if you buy a piece of exercise equipment, that's going to be nothing but, you know, carry your clothes in the bedroom or something. Well, I did teach myself how to play drums. I was in bands all through high school and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, there, there's no being a rock star in my world. <laughs> yeah, you know, I love music as well. I played the violin. Okay. And I, I loved playing the violin. After high school or college, what career did you spend the most time doing? I spent uh, 15 years in the bike business. And, um, you know, I, when I was 15, that was my first job. And then when I moved to Pennsylvania, I got a job in a bike store and then moved to another one. I, I spent about 10 years in that business. And then um, I was hired to uh, work as a uh, head of marketing and for a, a chain of stores. And then we ended up franchising that business and somewhere uh, in my uh, – I guess my late 30s, uh, I, I left to uh, start a, a, a music association business, not the musical instrument business, not like records and stuff. And then mm -hmm. I went to work for a, uh, a training company like you. I, I worked for a uh, – uh. I, I didn't do the sales training. I was head of marketing for the sales training. And that's the position uh, that was – I lost my job when I was 41. And um, I, after a year and a half of unemployment, I had uh, uh. cancer and that whole deal and – and then at uh, October 2001 is when I started my business. So that's kind of my history in a nutshell. So could you unpack that just a little bit? What personal hardship shaped you into who you are today? You know, there's nothing like sitting on the metal exam in the surgeon's office. And he says, we don't know if it's stage two or stage three. We won't know for, until your surgery in three weeks. And I said, well, what's the difference? And he goes, well, with stage two, uh, the life expectancy, the average life expectancy past five years is 80-20. I said to myself, well, if you got to have cancer, I guess 80% is not bad. And I said, well, what if it is stage three? He goes, it's 50-50. And so that hit me so hard, John. I got to tell you, I had my, uh, my, my, my twin girls were 12 at the time. I had a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old son. I didn't, all of my, I didn't know if I would see my girls graduate high school or get married or whatever. Um, so that was really, really hard. But you know what? It it really gave me appreciation because prior to that, you know, I had a big dream. I was going to be a VP by 40. I did make it, but I mean, I, I worked mega hours rationalizing like a lot of people do. Well, I'm doing it for the family, but you know, I missed events and things like that. So that, that was really a major shakeup in my life from, you know, basically 40 to 41 and a half. And, um, you know, I, my priorities today are all about relationships and my family. Now, no doubt, I work a lot of hours as a business owner. Uh, my mm -hmm. kids are all grown and gone, so, uh, mm -hmm. so it's not so much of a, a burden on the family right now. But, um, but you know, it just really helps you see what's important. I, I mean, nothing really gets me upset anymore, other than you know somebody saying something about my family or. Mm -hmm. Politics, maybe, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I really roll with with things. I, I've just got a, I've got such an appreciation for. I think every day you wake up and put your feet on the floor, it's a good day. I love my life. I say that every morning I get up. That's awesome. What a great way yes. to start the day. Yes. 
what hobby or passion did you feel yourself spending the most time in before the books? Oh, boy. You know, I have had a 30-year dream of owning a, a, a nice boat. And um, oh. in fact, when we got married, we got I was married at 21. And um, mm-hmm. I said, because my family was all boat, I said to my wife, Stephanie, I said, I want to have a boat. And she goes, well, we should probably, let's start having kids first. Well, <laughs> when you start having four kids, there's not a lot of money for a boat. But uh, <laughs> after the kids were grown and gone and my business was doing well, so three years ago, I bought a boat, a a nice 30 foot sea ray and, and mm. stay out on the weekends and, and, you know, we can do some little trips in it and things like that. That is, I mean, it is, I love my boat. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of my, my, some of my friends go, well, you don't really love your boat. I said, no, you don't get it. I love my boat. <laughs> and, and that is my passion. But you know, what's funny. And sometimes, um, Sometimes on the weekend, stuff will go, can we just be us? Because I love inviting family and friends and having you know some of my better clients come down. And we, I love sharing the good times. Not that I don't mind just the two of us being out there and we take our dog and stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. it's just – it is such a good time. And I'll tell you what. As hard as I work, it is, it is my sanctuary. Like literally – it's about an hour and 20 minutes driving from my house to where the, the marina is. And that drive is very nice, so I start calming down. But the minute I pull in the marina, I start, like, I don't think business anymore. And then when I get on my boat, I'm just, I just, there's something about it. And I know some people like the beach, some people like the mountains, some people like, I don't know what, their man cave or whatever. <laughs> For me, it's all about being on my boat. What, before the books, what personal accomplishment or unique talent are you the most proud of? Probably raising my kids, and you know, even saying that I, I give, I, I always, I give ninety percent of the credit to my wife. The reason our kids turned out as good as they did, mm-hmm. so I wasn't around <laughs> for a lot of it. Now we we did see eye to eye on most things, but um, she is exceptionally talented when it comes. To, I mean, that's her career actually is early childhood development and stuff. So oh, nice. Yeah. So I mean, all you know, all four of my kids are healthy. I. I I thank God they, you know, nobody got really into drugs or got in any trouble. Not that we didn't have a couple little things here or there, but for the most part, they're doing really, really well. Which book do you wish you were the author of? I, you know, uh, probably the one that had the greatest impact. I know a lot of people say this. So I'm going to give two. But Think and Grow Rich is obviously a transformational oh, yes. book. And you know, who, who, like I say, I, I can't string two sentences together sometimes, so that would seem a bridge too far. But I'll tell you, an author that I, I have the utmost respect for is Dan Kennedy. Uh, mm. He's an amazing uh, guru to entrepreneurs and small business owners. He's got a whole series of books called No BS. And um, Dan, Dan writes in a way, I actually write a lot of my books. I learned from reading a lot of Dan's books. He writes in a very conversational, straightforward tone. In fact, he says in the first few pages, look, it, I, I'm probably going to end up offending you, whatever. I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm going to give you my opinion straightforward. You know what I mean? It's that kind of style. Mm-hmm. And um, since that's how I talk and kind of live my life anyway, that's it's probably why I was able to write six books because I just write like I talk and, and kind of spill my head on a certain subject. Now for a word from our sponsor, which is me, John P., the host of the show. Did you share this episode yet? Did you share this show yet? What are you waiting for? Don't procrastinate. On the website, you'll see those fancy social media icons. Just click them. Click away. Click away, click away, click away. Click away, click away, click away. Remember that song by Enya? Anyways, click away. Share the news about this podcast. Share the news about this episode. Thank you. Now, back to the show. All right, now we're going to get back into the book and the mindset you had when writing the book Decide. Yes. What 
What led up to the book idea? Um, so there was two things. Number one, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, people said, man, you've got to write a book and share some of these different – because every once in a while, like, especially at my live events, people go, hey, Jim, how do you handle criticism? And I'd give my little strategy like I shared here. How do you do this or this? Uh, I'd share the thing about not being perfect. So I, and so it was a place to put all of those things. But I do on average 12 to 15 uh, interviews like you and I are doing now a month. And um, – Right about the time I was thinking of what I would put in this book, uh, somebody asked me a question. And, you know, a lot of times when you do interviews, you get the one question. What's the one thing, right? right. And so somebody was getting ready to say, what's the one thing? And I was getting ready to say, what's the one book or one quote or whatever? And they go, what is one word that if someone said, what, what do you think most separates highly successful entrepreneurs from the, you know, another 99% of the average entrepreneur, could you describe it in one word? And I said, decide. And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, very successful people have the ability to quickly look at a situation or a question or even better, an opportunity, quickly weigh the pros and cons, yes or no's, whatever, and then make a decision, yes or no, but not maybe. And, and yes or no, and, and believe me, your gut, the the, the decision making muscle that you have, you can you can strengthen that and fine tune it. The more decisions you make, your gut will actually tell you what to do. And you know, if you happen to make a bad decision, you keep rolling forward. But here's what I know: growing businesses thrive on momentum, more and more momentum. And so. When you make fast decisions, you keep moving forward. Now, if you make a bad decision, you could either – you just adjust as you go along or maybe you have to like completely just kick that thing to the curb and, and move forward. But as long as you're moving forward, indecision, the opposite of being a decisive person, indecision is an anchor. It's a drag on the growth of your business. Now, oh, yes. now me being a boater, it's like throwing an anchor off the stern and trying to get up on plane, dragging an anchor. It just doesn't work. So decide – uh, which is actually where where I came up with the title. So decide because of what I just said, and I really think decide is the ultimate success trigger. Who motivated you to actually move forward with the idea for this book, if there was anyone? Um, you know, I, I I trust my gut and my instinct. Mm -hmm. So w every time I write a book, first of all, when I wrote my first book, which you know took eighteen months, I remember saying to a friend of mine on the phone, "I have a home office, so." I said to my friend on the phone, man, this thing took me forever. I feel like I gave birth. And then my wife actually overheard me <laughs> and corrected me about not using that statement ever again. <laughs> but the, just a little humor there. But, you know, John, writing a book is a – it has to be either a labor of love or a mission that you're on. You know, nobody – I haven't met anybody that actually enjoys the process. What people enjoy are the benefits of being a published author, especially if you're a businessman. It, I mean, it's great. It's The benefits of having a book are – there's so many we could fill another hour. But nobody wants to write the book. It's a, it's a big deal. It's a time commitment. You know, I, I wrote – you know, I said 60 days. It took me about 40 days, and I had about 20 days for – uh, editing and proofing and things like that. But I, I have some editors that I work with and I line up their time ahead of time so I'm not waiting. I said, listen, I'm going to give you this book here. I'm going to give you two weeks, you know, or three weeks, and then we'll do it. So I actually wrote the book in 40 days or so. Uh, and that is me getting up usually about four in the morning, 4.30 at the latest, 
coming into my office, turning on my computer, not looking at TV, not looking at Facebook, not doing anything. But I, I have some very special music I turn on. It's it's actually uh, Hawaiian guitar music, no singing. Oh. I, hmm. I have to have just the slightest amount of background ambiance type music. And so I like acoustic guitar. I can't have anything wailing. or So it's just very, very soft. And I can't have singing, John, because if I hear singing or I'm listening to words, I'm not thinking about the words in my head. So I, I put on my special music. I have all distractions, noisemakers turned off. I have my cell phone muted. In fact, it's in the other room, so I don't hear it vibrate. And I write, and I write for probably three hours. And I go exercise, have breakfast, and then go about my day. But I am I write in the morning for about three hours every single day, and um, that's how I get my books done. So during these, these 40 days to write this particular book, how busy was your life during this period of time well there's because there's all kinds of distractions but you know mm -hmm. i have a i live by my calendar so you know as a coach i do all my coaching and all my interviews on tuesday wednesday or thursday right and um mm -hmm. and so monday and friday are no call days i have no calls in or out monday and friday so those are days especially in the winter because i'm in you know philadelphia the northeast so in the uh -huh. winter uh you know monday and friday are production days for me i can write all day i can work on projects and i know i'll never be interrupted tuesday wednesday and thursday i usually go from one call to the other and and that's fine so i don't i don't even attempt to do anything on those days what i figured out is that uh when i'm in my I have figured out that my most creative zone is in the morning. Some people like evenings. I'm, I'm in bed by 9 or 9.30, so I can't do that. But my most creative was, is when I first wake up and there's nothing else going on. I, I, I don't shower. I just put on some sweats and come down and I start writing, just like I described. The greatest mm -hmm. challenge for me early on, and I've really learned to control it, is me. Like if I, if I know that I'm under deadline, let's say – you know, I've done my three hours in the morning and now I, that's not, I can see on my schedule that's not going to be enough because I have hard deadlines. I don't say, well, okay, it's going to take me another week. I've lined up my editors. I need to have the book done. So I need to find, so let's say, um, on a Tuesday or something, I'll, I'll block out a couple hours in the day where I won't take calls just so I can, you know, I, I can't, I can't set aside 20 minute chunks because you can't get into the zone. But if I set aside a two hour chunk and I sit down and I write, and I look at my screen and go, come on, damn it, right? You know? <laughs> and so here's what happens. I, I, wait, is that the mailman? Oh, let me go check the mail. Uh, and on my way out the door, I see a, a bird pooped on my car. So I come back inside, and I get the paper towel and Windex, and I wipe that off. I then bring the mail in, and I hear the dryer or the washer shut off. Well, let me go move the clothes from the washer. To the, and I do all the, oh, who left those dishes in the sink? Let me just throw them in the dishwasher. In other words, I will come up with so many reasons not to sit there and write my book if I'm not in book writing mode. So I've learned that you just can't force it. What did you do for fun to escape from the writing? You know, part of this is what I described earlier, but it's also a learned skill because I'm a worker bee, and so okay. I actually have to work at not working sometimes. Mm. And, um, but what I've learned is that uh, I don't – you know, there's an expression, I'm working for the weekend. I think there's even a song about everybody yep. working for the weekend. I don't work for the weekends. I love the weekends because that's when my wife's off and stuff, but I enjoy every day. You know what I mean? I, I It's not like I've got these trudge – 
um, I, the drudgery of working. I mean, I, I so enjoy working with other entrepreneurs and, and things like that. Um, I love Mondays and Fridays, especially now that it's getting warmer, Monday or Friday. Most of the summer I'll take off and I'll have either a minimum of three-day or sometimes a four-day weekend on my boat, which is nice. And, you know, that's what I've worked for. I've worked really hard to achieve that. But um, it's not like I don't feel the need to escape. You know, even when my wife and I are driving or on vacation or something, I, I think about work. You know, you you can't turn off your creativity. But I don't look at it like, doggone it, why can't I turn it off? I'm like, oh, man, that's a great idea. I can't wait to implement that when I get back. What type of tools do you use to capture them? I'm so old school. You know, my daughter points out, Dad, you've got like a voice thing on your phone. Just pick up your phone and talk. I've got a little pad with a pen in my in the sleeve of my door, my car door. Ah, yes, like, yes, so do I. <laughs> I got pads everywhere. And um, I've just never – ne- first of all, I don't like picking up the phone if I'm driving. If it rings, you know, i got Bluetooth and I'll answer it and, you know – but I don't like, I don't like interrupting that. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. op- unlocking the phone. And so I, what I really do, because again, just to be safe, I'll be driving along, and my wife sometimes will get into a good conversation. Sometimes we just like to be quiet in our own thoughts. But almost, if she sees my left hand going into my car door, there's a pen always attached to the pad. I hand it to her. All I got to do is say, "Honey, please write this down." Monday book. Or I'll just say one or two words, and boom, I'll know what that means. And I'll tear out the little piece of paper, and I'll put it in my pocket. When I get undressed, I'll, t- I'll empty my pockets and make sure that goes with me back to my desk. And that's how I – That's how I. or, you know, I use, like, Google Calendar. So, at, you know, when we get to where we're going, I'll open up my iPad and just – I'll make a little appointment for myself for whatever day I want to do whatever I just thought of. So how did you decide on the cover? I've worked with the same um, – uh, cover designer for all six books, really talented okay. guy, yeah. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, honestly, um, I have a sort of a vision. So I just say this is my general vision, but I want you to do whatever you want. Show me two or three things, and and then I'll pick one, and then we'll just kind of fine tune it. Um, but you know, I I have uh, I've always been one where I've had some some good pictures taken. There's a picture where I, I was speaking to a pretty large audience. It was actually at a Think and Grow Rich event. And um, we had the, he in Photoshop took out the whole audience and background. And so the cover, the photo that's on the on the decide cover is me speaking out in San Diego. Ah. There's like this background where I said, listen, it's kind of a mindset book, so I don't want it to look like – sometimes you see people with their mindset book, and it's like a firing brain or synapses. I said, I don't want to do that because I think that's a turnoff. But um, it, it looks kind of uh, a little bit of slightly mechanical, and all he did in very, very fat letters at the top, it's put decide. And yes. It's in yellow, which matches my yellow tie. So I, I, I hire and trust talented people to do things um, that they're good at. Surround yourself with – Talented people. That's right. You know, people are cheap and they're also lazy in a way like, well, I'll do that myself or I can do it better, cheaper, fast. But you know what? It never gets done if yes. you end up becoming the uh, the impediment to your growth. Why did you choose self-publishing route? Because you lose total control of your book when you go with a uh, publisher, first of all. Second of all, it dramatically slows the train down. One of my coaching clients actually um, I helped her uh, put a book together, and she actually got a publishing deal. We were going to just self-publish it. Then she got a publishing deal. She was all excited. I wasn't going to step in the way. But that thing took like nine more months to come out. 
okay? And that slows the train down. So for me, I need to remain in control of the book. I want to remain in control of the, of the process. So it's a control thing, but also it's a, it's a time thing. So tell us about at least one new skill that you gained from either going through the process of writing this book or any book. Um, well, my editor showed me how uh, you, you can use Word, Microsoft Word, to find a word and find where that word is throughout you know, a 200-page book and change it in one fell swoop. Because I said, you know what, There's, I, I say this thing frequently, and I, I'm going to have to have you go through, and she says, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do that in five minutes. I said, how do you do that? And she told me. So I, I probably don't know how to do it, but I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> I love it. Find and replace. Yeah. How did you celebrate after this book was finished and available for sale? Bought another tank full of gas for my boat. <laughs> 125-gallon tank, so you can imagine. No, I'm, I'm, I'm semi-kidding, although I'm not. But, you know, it, and by the way, it's a great question, John, because far too many people, they set these goals, and then when they meet them, they say, oh, I got that done, and they move right on to the next one. I'm a big fan of celebrations, big celebrations, small celebrations, because here's the deal. When you are a business owner and it says, you know, founder, president, you know, CEO of the company, nobody's going to pat you on the back like if you had a boss. It's up to you to do that. No, nobody's going to do it if, if, uh, if you don't do it for yourself. What would you do differently for your next book? Um, you know, the, the, here's the interesting thing. Um, for the last six months, I knew there was another book in me. I'm not going to. I'm not prepared to say what it is, but mm-hmm. I'm dragging my heels on it because it's it's a slightly controversial topic. Although I think it can help people if it, we had an honest discussion. But I, I really I really don't like you know controversy mm-hmm. too much. But what I decided to do. Uh, is do an audio book. And I don't mean I'm going to write a book and then speak into it. I spoke the book. And then I'm going to have that transcribed. And I won't present it as a book. I'm going to present it as a transcript of the audio book. And um, so that's what I'm going to do. All right. So now I'd like you to share a short, actionable tip or step-by-step process that will benefit someone who hasn't finished a book yet. Uh, Find an editor. And there's plenty of ways to do that. I mean, there's probably websites. uh, There's Companies like Elance, or I think Elance actually changed its name, but you you find an editor. When I wrote my first book, I was so proud of it, but I knew me being grammatically challenged, I was going to invest in an editor. And when I hired her, um, I'm pretty sure it was like 800 bucks or something. And I said, I want you to proofread it for spelling, grammar, and clarity of messages, kind of a common phrase they use. And mm-hmm. so she did that, and she came back to me and said, Jim, my I, and she was really kind of meek, very good at what she up to. I, I know um, – I don't want this to sound like I'm trying to upsell you. And in my head, I'm as a coach, I'm going, well, go ahead and try. I mean, you should. <laughs> But anyway, I said, no, what's up? She goes, okay, I've done what you wanted, I've, but the book – if it's going to be a really, really good book, you should completely have it reorganized. I said, what do you mean? She goes, you wrote this book like chronologically. For example, okay, let's start with a title. Let's name the newsletter. Let's do this, that, and the other thing. And you work all the way through how you design it, what you put in it, how you print it. So it probably seems logical to you. But here's the thing. I'm about to give you a tip. I just remembered it actually. So everybody who's writing a book needs to remember this. People in general rarely get past the first one-third of any book. So if your book is a third of the way done, you're done. So just put <laughs> But people rarely get per- past the first third. So you have to hook them 
in the first sentence of the first paragraph of the first chapter, first of all, you've got to give them a really strong hook to let them know why they should read the book, and then put all the good stuff up front because most people will not get to the back of the book. And that's true. When she said that, I said, that's right. I, I read a ton of books, but as soon as I feel like I got what I need out of the book, my brain says, let's get on to the next book. I don't say, well, boy, I wonder if there's more stuff. And you know, realistically, there probably is. But if you put all the good stuff up front, at least in the first third, you're, you're going to do really well. What about a word of encouragement for someone who hasn't finished yet? Uh, encouragement. You want me to be encouraging? Get off sure. your butt and pull the trigger. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know? uh, remember the story I said earlier. The, the perfect book that you have in your word processor is not helping anyone, right? So if the information that you – if you're going to write a book – First of all, let's assume you're writing a good book, okay? Not a, not just because you realize being an author is helpful to your career, and if you just put any book out there with a cover, you're going to get praise and blah, blah, blah. But let's assume you're putting out a really good book with information you're deeply passionate about, you care about, it's going to help people make their lives better, etc. How dare you hold that back from the public when so many people need to hear what you have to say, because you're so consumed with that missing comma that you can't find it. So get off it, get the book published, start helping people, and start helping yourself. What are you excited about working on next? I'm excited about actually uh, getting this audio book and transcript done, because it, it'll be in record time, but it's a kind of a different format. Uh, I'm actually going to give the book away for free. Um, and so we're just going to experiment and, and see how it goes. Is there anything that you've created in the past that you'd like to plug? If anybody really uh, resonates with either my style, my advice, and things like that, they ought to they ought to check out Dream Business Academy, which is my live event because we do talk about books. We talk about how to market your book, how to get your book done. It's not just a book thing, but we talk about podcasting, all these different things. Um, that's what, really what I'm most proud of. And um, I'll just give the URL. It's Dream Biz Academy, Dream B-I-Z Academy.com. All right. So we're going to wrap up now. So time for our closing statement. My name is Jim Palmer. I am the author of Decide the Ultimate Success Trigger, and I want everybody to finish their book. And what you want to do is you want to put a stake in the ground and don't say, I'll finish it when I get to it. Whatever the date is, I think you should probably add 21 days to that, 23, something odd. Put it on the calendar and say, this is when my book goes to the editor. Whatever shape it in is going to the editor. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to and get it done. Thank you for finishing your book, Jim, and thank you for sharing it with the world. If you want more information on Jim, check out the show notes on the device you're listening to or via the website. Thank you for listening. Erica, take it away. Did you learn enough to help you take the next step toward finishing your book? If so, share the show and let us know by visiting pleasefinishyourbook.com. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Stitcher. Hashtag, please finish your book.